Amen. Thank you so much, Brother James. That's a very good song. We appreciate that. And we're thankful that you're here. And I am so blessed to be able to share God's Word with you this morning. And we are in the book of Romans on Sunday morning. We are going through the book of Romans together. We have come to Romans chapter number 3, which I've entitled our sermon, None Righteous, No, Not One. If you ever wonder where I get my titles, you'll find them right in the text. I'm not very crafty when it comes to titles. I just try to take the main ideal of that text and give it to you. And so we're looking at verse 9 through verse number 20 this morning. Romans 3, verse 9 through verse number 20. If you found your place and you're able, we'd invite you to stand with your copy of the Scriptures open. And we'll honor and reverence the reading of God's holy and Aaron infallible inspired word together. The Bible says in Romans 3, verse 9, What then? Are we, that's referring to the Jews, better than they, Gentiles? Paul says, no, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are, all, they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, and every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may be guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For the law, or for by the law, is the knowledge of sin. Father, thank you again for the privilege and honor to be able to stand behind the sacred desk and proclaim the truths of the Word of God that you've laid upon our hearts. Lord, I confess before heaven and this congregation of witnesses that I am nothing, but yet you are everything. Lord, would you help me to decrease and you increase? I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, for you are our strength and you are our Redeemer. May your perfect will be accomplished and we'll give you the praise, for you alone are worthy. And we ask it in Jesus' strong name. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. None righteous, no, not one. Well, if you didn't figure this out when we just read this portion of Scripture, we have the scene of a court. The supreme judge of the universe has taken his rightful place at the bench. And court is now in session. The entire ruined race of Adam is charged with violating God's holy and righteous laws. The penalty for such violation, you know, is death and eternal hell. The Apostle Paul has previously and adequately proven that there is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short the glory of God. Man's righteousness is as filthy rags in sight of the holiness of God. All of humanity stands guilty before God. Amen. I don't have to prove that. You know that. But Paul 
Thank the Lord. He decided to prove that. And Paul demonstrated our guilt among three different classes of people which represent the entire human race. He shined the spotlight of God's judgment upon the heathen, those who sin out loud and proud. He showed their flagrant and their gross violations before God. Then he turns the spotlight of God's judgment upon the hypocrite, those who in the public eye look faultless. But God's spotlight of judgment shined to a place where it exposed their secret sins. They lived one way in public and another way in private. But God knows and God's judgment reaches to the secrets of men. Then he turned the spotlight of God's judgment upon his own people, the Hebrews, and he exposed their sins of self-righteousness, how they trusted for salvation in their own works through religion and through their race. The heathen, the hypocrite, and the Hebrew alike have all been arraigned and are each guilty. Now it's time to hear the final deliberation. Humanity at large is summoned before the great bar of Almighty God to hear the final verdict. Do you know what it is? Guilty as charged. The entire human race. Why? Because I give you the title of my sermon. None righteous, no, not one. So what does that mean? We're all sinners in need of a Savior. That's what Paul is trying to teach us in this section. Let us look at the charge of sinful man. I can't believe that anybody would be doubtful of their need of Jesus, but if they are, he gives us the charge. The charge of sinful man was spelled out for us in verses 9 and 10. What then? That alludes to what had been said. He talked about how there's greater judgment for the Hebrew people because they were given much, but yet at the same time, they were guilty before God because they were using race and religion in order for salvation. And they thought they were better than the Gentiles. And they asked, what then now? Are we better than they? Paul thunders back, no, and no wise. For we have before both proved Jews and Gentiles that all, are under sin. As it is written, unrighteous, no, not one. So the charge of all sinful humanity is that we're all under sin. I will prove that in two points. One, by conception. All men everywhere are born into sin. You don't have to teach a child to do what is wrong. They come out knowing. You must spend the rest of your life trying to teach them what to do right. All men are born under sin. All men are born in sin. The truth answers the question that Jews, are we better than Gentiles? He said, no. While it is true, for the Jew, they had a greater privilege. They had far more advantages in coming to know Christ and knowing God. But you are no better than any man, for all men have sinned and all men everywhere are under the curse of sin. The Bible says in Romans 5, 12, as by one man sin entered into the world. See, when Adam sinned there in the garden, he brought down the entire human race into a fallen and a depraved state. That sinful nature then was passed on, or we would say inherited 
by every son and every daughter of Adam, of the human race. Now you know what David, King David meant when he said in Psalm 51 verse 5, David said, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Not, not, not that his mother had a sinful sexual relationship and he was the product, that's not what he's saying. But that he was born into sin and therefore he is under the curse of sin like all men of Adam's race. You understand that. So we're on the same page when I tell you that all men are in sin from conception. Second of all, not only by conception, but I prove it by choice. By choice. Men are sinners by nature and by choice. Paul had previously proven that man is incapable by nature of doing that which is right in the sight of God. I want you to think about that for a minute. Because the vast majority of the world would say, I'm a lie bag. The vast majority of the world would stand up and try to disagree with me. Because they don't need repentance, they say. They don't need to accept Jesus as their Savior because they feel in their own worth and by their own works they can please God. But I've got a problem with that. Because the Bible's already said, there's none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says all have sinned and come short the glory of God. All have missed the mark. So I've got a problem with that kind of thinking. I'm going to fall in line with the word of God here. And I'm just going to remind you that man cannot please God because his standard is too high. Even the best of men cannot please God. Why? His standard is perfection. You ever known one of them? The Bible, you don't believe me? Body language tells me keep on preaching, so I'm going to keep on preaching. Matthew 5, verse 48 says, Jesus speaking to the multitude of the Sermon on the Mount, he said, be ye therefore perfect as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. I'd have had to quit right there. That's God's standard. I've never met any of the human race who has ever to achieve God's standard. And so that's a problem. Because we're all born flawed. I told you earlier, David said, I was shapen in iniquity, born in sin. That's a terrible thing. We're all flawed by sin, all have sinned. But the sad truth is, it's not only that we're incapable by nature of living up to God's holy standards and not violating his holy laws, but given a free will and given a free choice, man will choose wrong over right to gratify his own Sick, twisted, wicked flesh every single time. I have proof in every pew. I am living proof of what I just said and so are you. We'll choose evil over good apart from God every single time. So proving the sinner is a sinner by nature and by choice. So the indictment here that Paul gives us of the judgment of God is all inclusive. It is a wide sweeping charge. It is comprehensive and not one single solitary soul is left out of this charge of Adam's race. Red, yellow, black, or white, they are all guilty in his sight. There's no difference in race, color, creed, religion, all men everywhere 
are a sinner. You said, preacher, that's about enough. I'm already depressed. Listen, you got to get lost before you get found. You got to understand your need of Jesus before you ever look to Jesus. And so we got to understand where we stand with God. I think it's important. You know, when I visit folks who are close to eternity, that's usually the statement that comes up in leading towards sharing the gospel. They know they're dying. Atheism is denounced at that point. Skepticism and unbelief, unheard of. Agnosticism, out the window. They know in a matter of hours, maybe days, maybe moments, they'll stand before the living God. You don't have to convince a dying woman or a dying man of that. You don't. And so the conversation usually begins like, are you ready to meet God? Are you right with God? Are you saved? Are you ready? Listen, all philosophies fly out the windows at that time. Everybody everywhere knows that it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. You'll stand before God, a guilty sinner or a child of God by His marvelous grace, saved and forever I am. So we see the charge of sinful man. Notice the character of sinful men. For those who are still after this indictment are saying, I'm not sure of a need of Jesus. Look at verse 11 and 12. He says, he goes on to describe their character. He said, their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit and poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Look at verse 12. I skipped one. I skipped two, verse 11 and 12. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable, and there is none that doeth good. No, not one. About to get ahead of myself, but let's look at their character. And the Bible says in verse 11 and 12 that man is controlled by sin. Would you, would you say that's true? Let me give you three areas. Man who is a sinner without God, sin controls his mind. Think of that. Paul said, there's none that understandeth. It's profoundly amazing to me the incredible intellect that man as a whole possesses. In our current age of scientific enlightenment and advancement of all kinds of technology, we can put men not just on the moon anymore. We can put men on other planets. We can build space stations and explore the vast universes. We can design smartphones, smart cars. I hate Tracy's car. It will not let you drive. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? If I want to pull up close to somebody in order to pass them on the freeway, I don't need beeping and pulling and braking. I don't need a little picture of a coffee cup if I just get a little close to the side. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Smart homes. Walk in, turn the television on. Turn the radio on. Flip the light. 
Bring my food. I'm waiting on that one. We got smart everything. Smart weapons, smart bombs. It's amazing. Tracy's uncle Randy worked for military intelligence, CIA, for years and retired in the Air Force. Don't talk to that man. He'll scare you to death. The smart technology is amazing. The world is dazzled by medical marvels. We are keeping men and women alive longer than ever. Most of the time you had heart problems, you go home with a bottle of nitroglycerin pills to wait on the next episode, praying it didn't put you in the ground. Now you get a stent, remove the blockage, and go back to work the next day. I'm blown away. On and on with every disease there is, although we cannot eradicate death, but they're doing quite well in medical technology. We can invent Beyond belief, but when it comes to the spiritual things, when it comes to the things of God, man is so dense to the point of embarrassment. You don't believe me? Put a biblical trivia question on Jeopardy. Far more than that, I'm telling you, when a man's mind is filled with sin His heart is devoid of the Spirit of God. The things of God are foolishness to him. The Bible says the natural man, the lost man, receiveth not the things of the Spirit, for they are foolish to him, neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned, according to 1 Corinthians 2.14. So sin controls a man's mind. Sin controls a man's heart. As I just read to you, Paul said, there's none that seeks after God. Isn't that true? Man's passions are not set on God. Man's passions are set on the things of this world that gratify his sinful flesh. Man does not seek after God. You want me to prove it? I'll go to the garden. In the beginning, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, what did they do? Did they seek God because they had messed up? They realized they're sinners. Did they run out hard after God? No, they hid from God. It was God in Genesis chapter 3 who came looking for them and called them out on their sin, longed for a confession and reconciliation. It was God who sought after them. Remember Luke chapter 19 verse 10, Jesus himself said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. No lost man, no lost woman ever seeks after God. It is God that desperately and diligently seeks after the lost. It's not his will that any perish, but all come to repentance. I rejoice for that. There's nobody here or has ever been in any church service anywhere that said, I'm just going to go today and I'm going to get saved. No, you did not. No man seeks after God. It might have been good Holy Ghost conviction that got you here because God had been seeking after you for a long time. But no man just makes up their mind, you know, I want God today. No, you don't. No, you don't. Man doesn't want God. God wants man. God desperately wants you. He seeks you. He draws you. He woos you. He entices you. He makes it really, really hard for you to say no to him. God himself is the divine seeker. Again, the Bible says over and over again, no man seeks God. I'll just believe the Bible. Because when I didn't even have a Godward thought, When I was incapable because of my sin of seeking after God, thank God when I couldn't reach up, he reached down. 
God sought me. God's love bought me. It is God who is the seeker. Why? I couldn't. My mind was dirty with sin. I couldn't. My heart was contaminated and controlled by sin. But sin also controls our will. Paul said, there is none that doeth good. So we got a problem. When we turn around, we say, oh, they're a, they're a good individual. I, he's a good man. He's a good woman. If they're lost, they're not good. Why, they are, preacher. They're good. They give you the shirt off their own back. I understand all that. I do. But they're not good. Why? Because their wheels are contaminated by sin. Sin is controlling their will. Paul said that. They're gone out of the way. Isaiah said, all we like sheep, all we like sheep have gone astray. Man has rejected the will and the way of God and is in sin. And in sin he chose his own way, his own will. And by the way, that's not an easy way. I got any testimony in here? <laughs> Can you stand where Solomon said after finding out the hard way, the way of the sinner's hard. When you reject God and try to go after your own way and your own will, you find out it's a difficult road. It's a very hard road. It's not easy. And you often hear them, you'll say, well, I'm sorry, but I, I'm just trying to do the best I can or the best I know how. That's a lie. Man can always do better. The issue is man don't want to do any better. He don't want what God wants for him. He wants what he wants for himself or she wants for herself. Now, y'all looking at me like a calf staring at a new gate. I'm going to have to back up and start preaching over if you don't get this. I know what it is. It's not confusion. It's shock and awe because it's a portrait of who we really are. We don't want anybody to tell us what to do. Man without God is an anti-authoritative creature. I'll do it my way. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Why? Because sin has polluted, contaminated, and is controlling not just your mind and your heart, but your will. That's who we are. That's how we stand before the living God. See, man, given the choice, will always choose evil over good, unrighteousness over unrighteousness, his way over God's way. And then he describes our conduct, or our conduct that I, I skipped ahead and read earlier. Look at verse 13 with me. He said, their throat's an open sepulcher. Their tongue, if they used its seed, and poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of the peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So he gives us their conduct. Man's words are wicked. Boy, it don't take you long out on the street to learn that one. Man's words are wicked. I'm talking about a man who is not saved, a man or a woman who is lost and undone. Their speech is vile. Vile is a sepulcher. I thought about that for a moment. There's really nothing vile in and of itself about a tomb, a sepulcher, or a grave. But the vileness or the rottenness comes from that which is within. It decays. That which is placed inside that rots and decays and pollutes the entire tomb. Just think of all the unclean, untrue, unkind words that's come out of your mouth as a direct response of your dirty, defiled, and deceitful heart. Preacher, I, I don't like this kind of preaching. Well, hang on. Hang on. 
Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. My granny had a good way of paraphrasing things. Didn't them old timers have some good statements? My granny would always say, what's in the well comes up in the bucket. She is a theologian just like the Lord Jesus. What's in your heart is going to come out your mouth. That's just clear, plain talk. So if you've got a dirty heart, you're going to have a dirty mouth. People never knew who you were until you started talking. Y'all going to let me preach this morning. As we look at the portrait of man apart from God, his words are wicked. His speech is as vile as a sepulcher. His speech is as venomous as a serpent. Men strike at one another, injecting deadly poison with hellish words. James chapter 3 and verse 6 says, The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. No man can tame it, but soon and very soon, in that coming day, God will judge every vile word, every idle word in that great day of reckoning. That's fearful. That's man's conduct. His words are wicked. His ways are wicked. He talks about here, their feet are swift to shed blood. Well, what is that murder? Paul said their feet are swift to shed blood. You know, the first sin after the fall in the garden was murder. Cain killed his brother Abel. And ever since then, we've been swift to shed blood. Did you know that every 32 minutes, there is a murder committed in the United States of America? Every 32 minutes. So before you get home today, Two to three murders have already taken place. Do you realize that every seven, every seven seconds in the United States, there is a violent crime committed somewhere. And yet the foolish man would hear all of this and say, well, our nation may be guilty, but I'm not. Jesus said in Matthew 5 again, if you have hate in your heart for your brother, you're guilty as charged. Murder are man's ways. Misery are the ways of sinful man. The way is nothing but destruction and misery because they do not know peace and they do not fear God. The truth of the matter is that we have sanction after sanctions to seek to force peace throughout our world. We have treaties and agreements among nations that promise peace, but they're not worth the paper they're written on. Why? Because all we've ever known and all we'll ever know is wars and rumors of wars. You say, well, I don't know about all that, preacher. I've been listening to what NATO's happening, what's happening with the League of Nations. I, I've heard about the, the, the European Union. Can, can I tell you something? I'm still going to believe the Bible. All we've ever known or will know is wars and rumors of wars. Why? Because we crucified in our sin the Prince of Peace. And there'll be no peace until he returns. We, we need to understand the word of God's true, absolute truth. And so the world is in a mess. We're looking for peace, we'll have no peace, but the greatest reason that we're in so much turmoil is because there's no fear of God. No fear of God for those who are lost. I mean, it's been proven with the rise of this so-called atheism. It's become an epidemic in our world today. But no wonder there is so much murder and destruction and misery. It's because there's a lack of peace that comes only from the Lord. And then finally, I close with you this morning in telling you the conviction 
of sinful men. Finally, we can change gears after we see who we are and where we stand before God. But verse 19 says, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and that all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Thank God for conviction. When I come to church, I don't want, I don't want some little ditty. I don't want some laid back, chilled out, hip contemporary preacher, so-called, talk about current events to me, talk to me about morality and virtue apart from Christ, make me feel 10 foot tall and bulletproof and going home and loving my dog and kissing my wife. I'm not interested in that. A lot of churches are more about entertainment than education. Inch deep and a mile wide and they're going to be in trouble in this coming day. You know what I want? This is me. Here's what I want, and I feel like I'm not alone. I want the man of God to take the word of God and pin my ears back. I want the word of God to shuck my corn, to shell my peas, and to rattle my cage. I want God all up in my business and showing me where I stand before Him. Because I understand the truth and the reality and the brevity of life and death. And in a moment, this old heart can stop. And I'd stand before a three-time holy God. And I want to know the truth. Because the truth will set you free. I'm glad that when I come under the teaching, the preaching, the ministry of the pure word of God, I'm glad my bell's rung. I'm glad there is Holy Ghost conviction. I'm glad the Spirit of God speaks to me and draws me and ministers to me and convicts me. It's a wonderful thing. And so man sees his need for Jesus and then there is great conviction. How is that? Through the law of God. The Word of God. The law of God stops every argument. Why is there so much debate Foolish, hellish debate concerning the Word of God. Because the Word of God is not powerfully and clearly proclaimed. And everybody has their own opinion and want to argue against the things of God. The Bible teaches us in this day. I'm talking about the day when God settles all accounts. When men and women, great and small, will stand before the living God. The Bible says the law stops all arguments. There's nothing to say in lost man's defense. The law of God, the word of God makes abundantly clear that you and all of Adam's race are guilty as charged. There may be those who want to argue and according to Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 and following, they will. You got the scene. They're still on the Sermon on the Mount. They'll come before him and they'll say, Lord, 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 did we not do this and did we not do that? And on and on and on and on and on it goes. They will argue, vehemently argue. But in that day, every mouth will be stopped. Mouths will be closed, but tears will flow because there is no debate and there is no defense. When you see it clear as crystal, 
that you have violated God's holy law. You have sinned against the living God. And for that, there is hell to pay. Nothing can be said. The whole world is guilty before God, Jew or Gentile alike. Now, I've got a bad habit here lately. I have got hooked on Northwood's Law. I like that program. My, my kid dreams of being a game warden, and that kind of scares me to death. But anyways, he, he wants to do something like that, and I get to watching those, and I love that. I get to think about all of Rusty's cop stories. And, but I wouldn't have that job for nothing. I watched an episode the other night that helped me with this. I watched an episode, now listen to this, The Violator. He tried his best to argue and lie and argue and convince the wardens that they're innocent. And I told Andrew, I said, are you sure you want to do this? I said, everybody that comes to you is going to lie. You got your fishing license? Yeah, they're in the truck. Ain't a truck. Oh, really? Every word that comes out of their mouth. Lie, lie, lie. Well, the episode was this old dude, he pulls across the street to a property he wanted to hunt. He parked his vehicle there. He gets his hunting gear. He takes his rifle. He walks across the street over a fence and goes up into a piece of property and he goes and deer hunts. Well, what he didn't know is the landowner had seen him do this before. And so she goes and puts a camera on the side of her barn. And so this old dude goes back before as always. Well, she calls the wardens, gives them a CD of the perpetrator. And so therefore they stick it in the laptop and said, oh, I guess we just need to go pay him a visit. So they walk up and he said, sir, you've been hunting this year? Nope. Did I not just prove my sermon? I hunted last year, but I've not hunted this year, really. Do you know where certain, certain property is? Yeah. You ever hunted there? Mm -mm. No. Prove my sermon. Really? Did you carry a gun, park your vehicle across the street, and walk across the street and go into such and such property and hunt on this date at this time? No. I got tickled to the ranger that said, or the warden that said this. If I'm asking you these questions. 100% of the time, I already know the answer. And by the way, let me show you something. Come to my truck. They go to the truck. She opens up a laptop and pulls up his video. And this man who is arguing vehemently and lying, like I mean one hot breath after another, I watched him, a grown man, begin to melt. A grown man began to weep. And said nothing as they told him to put his hands behind his back. And they put handcuffs on him and called the local deputy and sent him packing. This helps me see what's going to happen in the coming day. Because every mouth will be stopped. There'll be lies. There'll be arguments. There'll be excuses pouring out. Pouring out. Pouring out. But far worse than being handcuffed and carted off to the local jail. You'll be bound and cast into an eternal devil's hell. No flesh will ever be justified in God's sight. There's conviction about that. 
Don't you think that man's heart was racing when they showed up and started asking him questions they shouldn't have been asking? You've never seen conviction till you stand before a living God. And all of your sins, all of your words, all of your thoughts, all of your wicked deeds will be portrayed. He sees the hearts of men. He tries the thoughts and the hearts of men. He knows and you will be judged. Then God's law shows the need of atonement because it gives us knowledge of sin. In other words, this knowledge of God's law gives us knowledge of our violations, our sins, and it holds us accountable to God for those violations. Again, all are under sin. All are guilty and deserve a full punishment of the law, which is death and hell. But thanks be unto God, who has sent His only Son, Jesus, to take your place. Who's ever done such? My sister and I got in trouble night and day, day and night. I go on record. My kids may blow it today, but thank God they were nothing like me and Wendy. My mama just shouted amen somewhere. I mean, we got whipped a thousand times a day and deserved 2,000 times a day. My sister was the tough one. I won't lie. She'd take a beating, man, and she'd look at me and she goes, they can't make me cry. My daddy would just start for the belt, and I'd start wailing like a Comanche Indian. And I asked her on many, many occasions, you're older, you're tougher, you're bigger, won't you take my whipping this time? And she said she loved me. She ratted me out quicker than anybody. Y'all are laughing because you had the same experience with siblings. Those who love you But no one has ever loved you like Jesus. The verdict was clear. And yet Jesus said, Father, I'll go. And I'll bear in my body the marks of the cross to pay your sin debt who is sin sick and lost. You had a debt of sin you could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. That's why we sing around here, we owe everything to him. He paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but Jesus washed it white as snow. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, took my place, paid my penalty in full, and offers me a pardon full and free. Man is guilty before God in sin, hopeless without help for pardon or no hope of promise of eternal life in Christ. But that same individual, if they'll come to God in repentance, what's repentance? It's saying you're sorry for your sin. God's already called it sin. He's convicted your heart that it's sin. He's told you it's wrong. You need to come to God and say, I know. It's wrong and it puts me in a bad spot with you. It condemns me. I don't want death and hell. But if you'll come repenting of your sins and in faith, expressing your faith in not what you can do, but what Christ Jesus did for you on the cross of Calvary, say, God, if you'll forgive me my sins and give me your son, Jesus. You know what he'll do? This is, this is amazing. I've never got over it. I never got over it. He'll forgive you. He'll forgive you of all your sin. It gets better than that. He'll pardon you. 
You, you know, I've, I've violated my mom and daddy's laws. I've sinned against my mom and daddy. And my dad would say, I love you. I'll forgive you. But he'd still tan my hide. My father in heaven said, I love you. I'll forgive you. I'll pardon you. What does that mean? No death in hell. On top of that, he said, I'll adopt you. I've been adopted in the royal family of God. He said, I'll give you access to my father. On top of that, listen, it gets better. I'll justify you in his presence. No sinful flesh can ever be justified in his sight. But those who come to Jesus share in his divine nature. And when God the Father sees me, praise the Lord, he doesn't see me. He sees the blood of his darling son who cleanses me from all of our sins. And then he makes me an heir. And y'all just go, "Mm, yeah, bless it. Are you kidding me? I'm in the will, man. He owns it all. And on top of that, he'll say, I'll make you a joint heir with Jesus. Me, who was once a God-hating, hell-bound sinner that deserved to split hell wide open. Oh, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon me. My mind was wicked. My heart was wicked. My way was wicked. But Jesus. Anybody got a but Jesus story? Aren't you glad he found you? I wonder who, who, would, who would come and run to Jesus this morning. You know, I grew up in a different era. I talk about my daddy whipping me, but I went to a church. If you run down the hall, you get whipped by anybody's daddy. You don't run in church. Matter of fact, I grew up in a day you just about don't breathe in church. You got that eye beam from the choir. Some deacon to move in behind you and just clear their throat. <clears throat> you knew it was coming. One time I got by with running in church. That's when I was an eight-year-old boy. We had a revival meeting and T.G. Burgess preached on sin. I knew I was a sinner. Invitation was given and my preacher stood out front. And he said, if you're lost and you need Jesus, won't, won't you come? I didn't ask permission from my daddy. I sat beside my daddy, but I've never had such urgency in my life. Never. I've never had so much urgency and brokenness in my life. And that day, I'll tell you, I'm so proud. I run the length of our gymnasium. And I hit an old-fashioned altar. Brokenness and sin. I told my preacher, I said, I don't want to go to hell, and I'm going to hell. He said, you don't have to. And he shared with me what I've shared with you about Jesus. And that day I have given my life to Christ. Christ has me and I have him. He's still working on me. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm bound for glory. And so if this whole thing right here just stops, don't you weep for me. If I live a year, if I live 20 years, if I live 50 more years, it don't matter. I'm with him and he's with me. What about you? You know who you are. You know where your sin has placed you. Get out from under the judgment of the wrath of God and come and embrace His Son who will receive you. Who here needs to be saved this morning?
Who here needs to come and bring their lost loved ones to an old-fashioned altar? Listen, we've had 10 saved in two weeks. Get in on what God's doing. How long is he going to do it? I don't know. Could be a blast of a trumpet and a shout from heaven and it's all over with. Get in on what God's doing while you can. Today is the day of salvation. Come. Father, thank you for the privilege to share the truths of your word. Thank you, Lord, for being here with us. God, your presence is surreal. You are at work. And I pray that you would remove the devil in every distraction. And may the Spirit of God have preeminence. May your will be done. May souls be saved and lives be changed. And we'll glorify in you. In Jesus' name, amen.